This is a Radio.com original. We were in high school, you know, I bought a love truck and I was a surfer and I was surfing all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I had the, the camper shell on it and, you know, had it all tricked out. Uh, and I wanted to put a small block 327 in it. You know, I thought that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but my cousin bought an old uh, Austin Healey 3000 Mark III. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was just not going to do the job. So we dropped the engine out of that and put a Ford 289 in it. There you go. Do it. <laughs> yeah. poor, poor man's Cobra. <laughs> it was, it really was. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a brand new year. As Sherry O'Terry, as Barbara Walter said on CNN, this is 2020, the new year edition. Talking about cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and more. I'm Randy Cardoon, and this week we have the many lives of Willie Ames. You know him, an actor on shows like Eight is Enough, Charles in Charge, and as a car guy, he once raced Jeeps, he worked as a cruise director on a cruise line, even worked on a fishing boat. Once again, we welcome Hot Rod Bob Beck of Gas, Great American Auto Scene, that's G-A-A-S, as we start the conversation with Willie at the Hollywood Autograph Show, talking about a short-lived TV comedy back in the 60s, all about a guy and his classic car. My mother, the car. My mother, the car? Remember my mother, the car? Yes, I do. do. Who was the star of that show? The car. Jerry Van Dyke. Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah. Of course, the car. Yeah. Uh-huh. Norm Gabrowski built the car. you know what Jerry Van Dyke? Did Norm Gabrowski that was, that was his. It was it was his touring car, and he dolled it up to make it not look like a hot rod so they could use it for my mother, the car. <laughs> and what role did Jerry Van Dyke not go after because he was doing my mother, the car? Mary Poppins. Gilligan. Was it really? It was Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. Oh. He was going after Bob Denver's role. He was going after Bob Denver's role. In fact, they wanted to give it to you know, Jerry, Jerry Van Dyke. Jerry did Charles in Charge with us. Oh, did he really? Did, yeah. Jerry did. Jerry Van Dyke did Charles in Charge. He was friends with Bill and Kathy Greer, who were writers on the show. And then he actually took some... I used to have dinner with Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. every Monday night. And I never knew Jerry at that point. And then Dick sort of bowed out of the limelight for a little bit and Jerry took over and then he started doing he did our show and then he went down and he started doing coach but Jerry was very funny and yeah. a great guy and I and I had I loved him in my mother the car I thought that was a great show yeah. I really did I watched it just for the car I, well, well me. who knew yeah. what a porter was a 1929 porter, porter. yeah well that's well, fictitious name dear. yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah. that and, and Mr. Ed yeah. Yeah. And then I voted for Pat Paulson for president. <laughs> you did? Oh, okay. Which did side? So, did we all? Which side? <laughs> it's just, so, I mean, you know, just for anybody listening, like if you're, you know, there's. Of a certain you, age. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to be a certain age. Anybody that's younger is just going, like, what? Pat who? <laughs> yeah. Pat Paulson for president. Yeah. I think he was a pretty good choice, actually. Yeah. Well, so so I, I'm very curious. Is I think I asked you earlier before we came on air uh-huh. whether or not you guys had seen Ford versus Ferrari. No, we haven't. We had not. We, we want to, but we, we missed our but, chance. But you saw it. I saw it, and I was absolutely blown away. It was just a great movie. It was great storytelling. But when they get into the racing sequences, mm-hmm. 
you had better have an extra roll of toilet paper (laughs) because you are absolutely going to soil yourself. It's so much fun and loud, and it just pins you back in your chair. Matt Damon did a great—I mean, everybody did a great job in in the movie, and I was— you know, you th- you think about movies that were about racing, and of course, Le Mans comes to, mm-hmm. to you know to to mind. Sure. Um, and you think in terms of Paul Newman, mm-hmm. and you think you know because Paul Newman used to always say that racing rejuvenated his acting, and I I never really understood w- why that was until I saw this movie, because I I mean I I'm I, I'm not a big car guy, but I do like them. And when I saw this movie, I was just it, and it had to be the same experience that you had when you first saw Le Mans, mm-hmm. because it was a whole new movie going experience. Like, and the and the choice, the director, the the choice of of direction was really interesting. But the way they cut the film and the way they told the story really was it was amazing it was it's just a great movie i cannot recommend it enough yep that's on our list date night with the with the wives and even well now here's the thing so i went with my wife we were at we were at a uh, film festival in in canada and uh i went with my wife who is not a car person Mm -hmm. she's like the uh, complete opposite of and she was like you know i'm going for you and 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 at the end she was cheering (laughs) She, like she really loved the film. So for those of you that have not seen Ford versus Ferrari, and I'm afraid it's going to come and go quickly, mm-hmm. I, because I don't think people realize how compelling that story is. But it is just made all the more compelling by the action sequences, the racing sequences that just knock your socks off. Have you off. seen any other Le Mans type movies or Le Mans? Type movies. Yeah, Le Mans. Yeah. Yeah, let's make sure we get that. Yeah, Cal- California tongues with French names. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's a whole other podcast. Le Mans. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just uh, just fantastic. So there's some other movies that are out there. I know there's a lot of uh, we'd seen some documentaries that yeah. have been done about it. Oh, we did the the one for TMPCC. Right. Where he had uh, what's that? Adam Carolla's. Uh, we had, so, yeah we did it we did the one with Adam Carolla he did winning oh right about Paul Newman yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, got to talk to him there about that and that was a you know there was a side of Paul that probably a lot of people really didn't know I was racing in the days when he was at Riverside racing oh yeah and he was he was just one of the guys and he didn't have an entourage he had fellow racers. Yeah, and it was just a whole different situation. Well, I think he really reveled in the in the in the ability to just be one of the guys because that mm-hmm. he really was that way. Yeah, I actually read for him one time when he was doing um, Harry and Son, and he read me for the part that Robbie Benson eventually played. Mm-hmm. And I'd been on you know I don't know five or six interviews, and this was after Eight Is Enough already, and and uh, everything else. And I I remember walking into an office ready to read, and you know only this one it was going to be for Paul Newman and I walked in and the the room was empty this office was empty and I stood there for a second and then I heard this god I hate this process it's like some sort of Roman or medieval torture 
<laughs> and I looked over to my right, and underneath the coffee table, there were two orange socks connected to Paul Newman, who was lying on the floor underneath the coffee table. Why? <laughs> yeah. He just had had enough and wanted to lay down for the day, and he was leaning on his elbow, and he was flipping through the script, and he's like, you ready to read? I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, all right, well, you know, sit in the chair, and I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to stay here. But he was really like that relaxed, that sort of, you know, mm-hmm. down to earth. And I think he reveled in sort of being in the pits and being around cars and guys that did, you know, stuff for a living that was normal, as normal yep. as racing can be. But it was that more down to earth, direct, like nobody would give you, you know, like they wouldn't be bull. It would be like, yeah. It's a different, I, my version of that was I, I used to work tuna boats and dive boats and I loved the directness of, you know, of that life that, you know, that people tend to be more direct. They tend to like not care that you're a celebrity. They tend to not like you're either doing the job or you're not. And I actually, I became a senior officer on the cruise ships for the same reason when you're at sea and when you're working on a ship and when you're in that environment or you're working on cars and you're in a race environment and there is death involved, you are either doing your job as a part of that team or you're not. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And there's no making up for ego and everything else. You're either, you've either got it or you don't. I think that's what he liked about it. Well, especially in Le Mans, you yeah. would see the fact that they're, was the potential for so much death because of mm-hmm. the way they were driving the cars. Oh. And it wasn't a racetrack per se. No, it streets. was driving down the streets. Yeah, yeah. And, and, there are, and the, health, the health things that are built into, the safety that's built into the cars today, Didn't that exist. wasn't even on the board well, years uh, ago. And we had an interview with one of the gentlemen who was driving, who was a professional driver. They used professional drivers in the scenes. Mm-hmm. And he actually crashed and lost his legs. Oh, and is, was no longer a driver after that, but he still has the Porsche in his garage. Oh yeah, but he's still an enthusiast. He's still involved in it, just not as a driver any long, any longer. And uh, they were saying Steve McQueen insisted on the takes being done at race speeds, yeah, not simulated. Yeah, and well, it's, here, here's another one, right? Yeah, Steve he was McQueen. another one. Then uh, during the, the the commentary, we. They had an interview, uh, winning, they had an interview with Paul, and he said, I had to quit Le Mans. People were making it a circus that I was there. Yeah. He said the one year he was there, they came in, I think they came in second or third mm-hmm. with the uh, Dick Barber cars. And he said there was too much uh, commotion about who he was rather than what they'd accomplished. Right. And right. he never went back. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, having worked the cruise ships, we would, we would call on uh, Monte Carlo quite frequently and just either before during or after the race there and when you see those streets that they decided to hold a race on there's no room no i mean there is zero room for error in any and and that race is no joke i mean that race is just amazing well we were talking about we were talking to ann answer the other day about uh, le mans and that is uh or le mans type cars and that is an advent of the 50s the cars were a whole lot smaller, a whole lot slower, but the case of Monte Carlo, that's still a, a facility or a location that is on the docket and something that they continue to run, even though the cars have gotten so much bigger. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh no, there's it's it's an amazing course, and you walk that course, and it's and and if you sit up where the where the aquarium is, just above where the palace would be, you can go up there and you can look down on the course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just look at some of those turns, and you just think, man, I wouldn't do it in my Fiat. You know, like I wouldn't do it in my Fiat 500, you know, let alone, you know, let alone some beast of a, a, you know. Run us back to uh, when you were first getting ready to drive or were driving and the fact that what was what cars out there really kind of got your attention uh, when you were growing up? Oh, well, the well, the, the I mean, Porsche really, you know, had my attention. Um and then uh, the the Fords actually that they had uh, that Ford versus Ferrari was was after Ford GTs kind yeah of thing. the GTs uh-huh. and the but you know and then it was the nine twelve like it was mm-hmm. the you know or the and the nine fourteens that everybody was you know that were so popular back then but my cousin and I now my cousin's a real motorhead. My uncle was a motorhead. He had a, you know, he had a, he owned a Mercedes, you know, shop. He was actually a biology teacher, but on the side owned a Mercedes shop. And he used to teach all of his students how the heart worked because, and he would use a, you know, a a carburetor as an example, you know, (laughs) and, and so he always crossed those over. But my cousin, when we were in high school, you know, I bought a love truck and I was a surfer and I was surfing all the time. Chevy love. Mm-hmm. Chevy love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I had the, the camper shell on it and, you know, had it all tricked out. Uh, and I wanted to put a small block 327 in it. You know, I thought that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but my cousin bought an old uh, Austin Healey 3000 Mark III. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was just not going to do the job. So we dropped the engine out of that and put a Ford 289 in it. There you go. Do it. <laughs> yeah. poor, poor man's cobra. <laughs> it was it really was. I mean, we just that thing would not corner for but <laughs> God, we could just go in a straight line down the four oh five freeway, you know, at you know, eleven o'clock at night. There was no traffic then. And we're talking about nineteen seventy six and uh seventy seven. And we could do push-ups on that thing, you know, at 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour. You just, you know. And, mm-hmm. But, man, if you had to take a corner, it was hairy. Like you were. Yeah. Well, what car, what car was your first car? My first car was the Chevy Love Truck because okay. that was the sensible car that my parents wanted me to have. And I mm-hmm. very quickly traded that in for an MGB. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'll never forget the day that, that I saw that at uh, the import motor, motor car place on Pacific Coast Highway in Newport Beach. Because I went in and I was like, oh, you know, this, the, just, the Love Truck is just not handling, you know, it, you're cramping my style, man. <laughs> And uh, Eight is Enough was a hit. And so I got the MGB, and uh, I liked that. Then I ditched that and got a uh, Alfa Romeo Spider Veloce, mm-hmm. which I really loved that car. Like, I loved that car. I, uh, that, that made me happy. Then I had a Jaguar, and I, I ditched the Jaguar for a friend of mine's car. He had bought and restored an original Carrera, 74 Ooh. Carrera, and had the whale tail put on it, the one of the first whale tails, and it was Gentry Red. I'll never forget the color, the name of that, you know. But he had, he had had an RS engine in it. And um, 
and I just that car to me was amazing. Like I, my license plate said R O Q Y O Y O U Rock U because mm-hmm. <laughs> I had my band then and I was touring all over the place, and I loved that car. I had it for a number of years. And I used to just, I mean, just that car would just scream. And then I met a guy when I was touring whose side job was working at John Wayne Airport. And it was, at then, it was, then it was just still Orange County Airport. And he had access to Avgas. <laughs> <laughs> so we used to top it off with a little bit of Avgas, you know, and just... If you'd romp on it, you literally could blow a flame at least six, seven inches, you know, and it, but it tore it up. I mean, you know, you're stupid then, right? And I was talking to my buddy that had sold it to me, and he used to go out to the track and race a bunch of them. And I said, you know, I really want to go out and race that. And he said, no, you don't want to go race that car. And I said, why not? And he goes, because it's got a lot of engine in it. And the first time you see one go off the track at 160 or 180 miles an hour, you'll think twice. And I had that car for, oh, probably from 1979 until 1986. Avgas, by the way, is aviation fuel, basically. Yeah. You're talking 100 octane or more. Yeah, about 101, 102 octane, depending on, you know, where you're getting it from. Right. And so, you know, you could really, you could really make it go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but they, it was just hell on the timing chains. Yeah. And the problem, the, the, the issue that I started having now, so now we're getting into the 80s. And, you know, inflation is sky high. It's the Carter years. And, you know, and interest rates are sky high. And money is tight. And, you know, and I would go, you know, we had cranked down windows, you know, and you'd lose a little plastic cap on your cranked down window. Well, no, you can't just go buy the cap. No, of course not. you got to buy the whole window mechanism. You know, they've got to take the whole thing. And then every time I'd go in and go, well, you know, you know, let's, let's get this thing tuned up. Well, you know, they got to drop the engine out. Right. So mm-hmm. once they drop the engine, you're already into it for twelve, fifteen hundred bucks. You might as well do this, then do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I ever got out of the garage with that Porsche for less than twenty six hundred bucks. Mm. And I just there was a point where I just thought, you know what, this is. And I was working on dive boats, so I told you I used to mm-hmm. love to do that. So you know, you're grabbing all your dive gear and you're dumping it, you know, in the in the second seat of a original Carrera. You know you there's a point where you just go, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of that and I bought myself a CJ seven. Cause I actually raced CJ sevens for a while mm-hmm. with Mickey Thompson oh, I and, uh, won the race at the Coliseum one year. And, and, uh, and I loved, and I'd been ever since we were a kid, I used to leave, uh, uh, Newport beach with my dad. We had an international scout mm-hmm. and we would drive from Newport beach to Cabo every year would take us four months wow because there was from newport beach to cabo nice yeah weekend that's that's a nice trip yeah, yeah. well and there were the so the road went through went all the way it was the dirt road started at ensenada and then after ensenada it was all just dirt i mean there was a trail and trucks went through but you couldn't do any more than three or four miles an hour because 
you know, it would just beat it up. And we used to take everything we needed to put those those cars, you know, weld them, spot weld them, put them, you know, take them apart, put them together because you wouldn't see anybody for eight days, nine days. Oh. And you were way out. And then we'd drive all the way down and then we'd go up into the mountains up through Laguna Chapala. And we'd kind of follow the Baja 1000, you know, course. But then we'd pull off and do different things, you know, go up to Hanson, Lake Hanson and drop back down side the other side of San Felipe and then back up over the mountains and then go down the Pacific oh. side or straight down until we finally got to La Paz. We had friends that, that we'd known for years in San Quintin before they were still in adobe huts mm. and dirt floors. That's how far back, you know, right. there was nothing there. And if you got gas, you used to siphon it, you know, mouth siphon it. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd hold the can up and then siphon it in. And um, and then we'd go down to El Rosario and we'd go, you know, keep on going until we finally got to La Paz. And that was our first place where there was, you know, civilization, civilization a city. And then from there, from La Paz to Cabo, there was a paved road that would actually make it through. And when we first got to Cabo, there was nothing but a purple church and an ice house and a wooden dock. And a wooden dock. And the Finisterra was there. Mm-hmm. But the Pedregal and, and Los... And, uh, um, Cabo Wabo. Ca- oh, no, none of that <laughs> stuff was there. Oh, okay. It's Newport Beach today, right? <laughs> but um, just the Finisterra was up there, and that was the only hotel that was around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we used to do that in Jeeps anyway. I, you know, so I bought a CJ7 and um, ran that around for quite a while. What's we always talk about the car that got away, the car that you once had that you no longer had that would love to get back. Oh, it's got to be the 74 Carrera mm-hmm. without question. I mean, it's just in those days, it just you couldn't give them away. As a matter of fact, I mean, you yeah. couldn't give Porsches away then. They were expensive and they were expensive to maintain and the insurance was outrageous. You know, and I'm a 22-year-old kid, you know, 20, you know, 19 to 22, 23-year-old kid, you know, in a rocket ship mm-hmm. basically. So yeah. the insurance was through the roof. Never crashed it. I was lucky, uh, but I never crashed it. But that's the car that got away. Mm-hmm. For sure, without question. All right, which car would you like to get today that you've never had everybody's got a list the top five list yeah i think today you know given that i spent way too many years with my band and in front of marshall stacks and (laughs) symbols and then i you know i was big into the outdoor world so i had a lot of guns and then i was also a, a quite a woodworker and i never used any hearing protection so my hearing is just horrendous and i have tonight is pretty bad so I look for things that are quiet, like my thing right now. I just want quiet, you know, and, and now the way that they have the tunes, the exhausts, and, you know, everybody's goal is to be as obnoxious as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think a nice Mercedes, you know, like just a 300, it'd be the car that I would, that's, that's probably my next car. It's just something that I can guarantee something I know is going to be quiet and I can talk to my wife and hear her. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so old. Well, no, that's something that many wives look forward to someday when their husbands do actually pay attention. So that's fine. Well, it just, you know, I mean, it really is. It just sounds so old to me, but at the same time, 
you know, like all those years that you had those really aggressive tires on your, on your, you know, off-road vehicles and all you hear is that highway hum, you know, and the wind's blowing in your hair, you know, and you've got your stereo cranked up and, you know, and it's, it's funny because I, I used to, to, I used to race with, uh, with Ted Nugent some, and then I used to do a lot of stuff at Ted's place and he's the same way now, you know, like you still have that. You know, I still want that zebra striped Bronco, you know, yeah. but if you could just make it quiet. Yeah. Enclose <laughs> it and insulate it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You yeah, know. Make sure all the doors are in and yeah. keep it up to keep the yeah. top on, you know. That kind right. Of so well, how about you? What's the car that got away for you? Oh, the car Which that one? got away for me. <laughs> so many, so many cars that got away. Well, let's see here. Um I had a, uh, I had a, actually a Dodge Magnum, really? which is a wagon. Yeah, and it's five point seven Hemi. Uh-huh. It was the RT Hemi, but it was such a cool car. And the reason I got rid of it is my single dad, my daughter, had uh, just made it as a cheerleader, and so she was on one of those cheerleading teams that go all over the state. Sure. Uh, and it uh, this is before the eight speed transmission, so you know getting a good. 19 to 20 miles per gallon uh, wasn't probably a good thing. So I started looking <laughs> around for a car. And uh, I believe at that time, Honda was driving or was, had the uh, Insight. Right. And I said, I yeah. wanted something with the number four in the mileage. And I thought, what chance is that? Well, there was the um, Chevrolet Volt. Yeah. That had come out. Uh, the that had really interest. They had really good mileage numbers, which later proved to be a little too high mm-hmm. because Chevrolet kind of patted it, didn't tell anybody. No. Uh, and there was also the uh, Prius, mm-hmm. but I didn't see myself as a Prius guy. Yeah, but the for for less than that, you could actually get a nice Honda Insight, and you can get forty five to fifty miles per gallon as long as you didn't punch it all over the place. Yeah, and I ended up. In fact, my daughter eventually got the car in after me, and she got better mileage than I did. It was only rated at like in the 40s. She got 54. I couldn't figure that out. I go, honey, do you ever like over 40? Zero zero to 60 times were probably different. Yeah. Well, she would always say, dad, they keep honking at me. And I'd say, I have a funny feeling I know why. (laughs) Yeah. But then again, I like the gas mileage. Keep going, honey. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, there was one car that I got from my uncle. He always had great cars. He had a little uh, Mercedes 190 SL right-hand drive. Mm-hmm. That was just beautiful. That went to my mom, and uh, and she she always wanted to restore it. And I wish that I could have gotten that car to restore it because that was a really nice car, convertible, yeah. hard top convertible. Yeah, right? no problem with the right hand drive. No, no, never had any problem with right hand drive. Uh, I've driven all over the world, and it you know doesn't bother me much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the one that I thought was really cool was an old Studebaker Hawk that I got from my uncle and that was just they, that thing was just immaculate you know he had really just restored it so well and i remember pulling up to a lot of events at hollywood you know like uh, you know these like emmy parties and and network parties and Stuff affiliates dinners yeah. And and pulling up in a Studebaker Hawk was really cool <laughs> like nobody had one of those right yeah. I'd feel a little funky, though, about, like, the valet's parking it for you. 
Yeah, that actually makes you really nervous because yeah. you never know, you know, you never know what's going on. No, I was a valet in 1977. I had the number one accident, by the way, in 1977. It, uh, you were a achiever. I was an overachiever. I don't know exactly <laughs> how I did that. And right outside the uh, Velvet Turtle on Ventura Boulevard back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And they let me keep my job because you knew the owner. The guy who hit me was doing 60 on Ventura Boulevard. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, so, that's okay. Yeah. Well, you, you got away with one. I think I did. You got I away think, with one. I think I did. I also learned if you're going to do uh, Parallel Park, never stick your nose into the curb before you bring the back in. Always go oh, back and then the. <laughs> Otherwise, you go in and your front bumper catches the passing car and flies in the air. But I digress. Ah, yeah. Yikes. It's a lesson learned. Yes, it was. Willie, thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. Sure appreciate it. You guys have a good day. Thank you so much. All right, man. Enjoy. That's the man of all trades, actor, cruise director, auto racer, and more, Willie Ames. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on radio.com, iTunes, and knx1070.com, so that way you can be notified when a new Talking About Cars is uploaded and you won't miss a thing. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us five stars and review us. Also, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, on Instagram, where we are talking about cars. And on Twitter, where we are talk, the letter N, about cars. Talk N about cars. Also, remember to join me as I join Hot Rod Bob every second Tuesday of the month on his Great American Auto Scene show on his Bob Beck page on Facebook. Also, gotgas.com. Again, gotgas, G-A-A-S. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.